Hey everybody, welcome to the Rockpile Talkpile. This is Zach, otherwise known as username Zach17. Uh, today we also got the regulars, John. What's up guys, Foster 15 We got Jason. Hey guys, I'm Jason, JSA17. We're gonna have JC joining us a little bit later, and we have to just celebrate something that's been happening. Because we've been giving this guy so much crap. Hallelujah. David Dahl has come back from the dead. No. He's hit some home runs. He has risen. In the last two days. He has risen. Including another home run today. I'm Right before I'm we started so recording. Happy. Thank goodness. I mean, we were saying, like, if he didn't hit something by this podcast, you would have to, like, give another organ to somebody. Well, I but, think, Zach, when we talked... Uh, during the game thread on Thursday or Friday, you were real frustrated he hadn't gotten a hit yet. Just a hit. That's all I was asking. It's just a hit. And he did one better. He got a home run. We did two better, kind of. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, we figured that there's a lot more games this week, um, so we're not going to go through every single one of them. But there's some um, some nice trends that we got going so far. I mean, the most at-bats in the team's got is 21 with Jordan Patterson. Rymel Tapio, David Dahl's got 18, and everybody else has got about 12 to 17 at-bats. So we're still talking small sample sizes. It's spring training, um, but what's exciting for the spring training so far? I mean, it sticks out to me, like you said, that Jordan Patterson has the most at-bats of anybody. Um, you know, it's still a small sample size, but to me mm-hmm. it just says that they're that's somebody they're really giving a look to after after years of all of us screeching for free J Pat. Maybe they're finally getting yeah. free J Pat. Um, they're giving him a long look so far this spring. I do like it, and then we have the small sample size. He's got three doubles, but he's also got nine strikeouts. So a third of the time or more, he's striking out. Sounds but like he'll should write it hopefully. Yeah, sounds like a few of our hitters. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's just the way today's game goes. Now people strike out all the time. People strike out all the time. I mean, I care sometimes. Um, We're going to talk about a reason why strikeouts are terrible a little bit later in this show. Other um, big surprises. um, Ramiel Tapia is supposed to be trying to get leadoff, and he just can't get a stolen base right now. His... Tapia's got speed for sure. His timing just looks off every time he tries to steal a base. It's he kind of doesn't he doesn't get the start he needs at any point. So that's something that yeah they'll continue to work with him during games. But that's something you stick him in the film room and you know he needs to watch pitcher deliveries for hours and get that timing down there, and then hopefully it'll translate well on the field. Right. Yeah, and I know the Rockies minor league system, they like to have guys, once they get on base in the lower levels, just steal automatically just to get used to doing it body-wise. So he's he's never really had to time a pitcher's delivery and go. He's just always gone. And and, right. the, and the Rockies certainly, you know, like you were saying, they like to get them going. Um, a trend during spring training so far has been a lot of steals. Uh, so... You know, last year we were a pretty poor base running team, and that translated to being in the bottom half of the league, well into the bottom half of the league as far as stolen bases go. So it's obviously something they're focusing on so far this year because you got guys like Hampson that are stealing. Hampson's got some legs. Um, Tapia is stealing. They're sending Hilliard, who is 6'5", 225. He's stealing bases. Um, they're really yeah. focused on swiping bags so far this spring. Yeah, and a word real quick. I we apologize for trashing Sam Hilliard last or week. Do Not we, trashing, just or do we? Because so far, every time we've trashed somebody that done really, really well, we were saying David Dahl should never be on the team again. Two home runs. Then we talk about how Sam Hilliard isn't really worth talking about. Now we're talking about him, so now we well, have to find a way to double unjinx ourselves. I guess it should be said, though, that two weeks ago we said we didn't know who Sam Hilliard was. Last week we were like, holy cow, maybe the Sam Hilliard guy will be good. And then this week Sam Hilliard has been really good. Sure. So we we gave him some we gave him the benefit of the doubt last week. Um, yeah, the person we didn't give any benefit of the doubt of who said don't even remember this guy's name, um, <coughs> O'Malley. O'Malley, rest in yeah. peace. See, so maybe we needed to talk up O'Malley because if you haven't heard, Sean O'Malley has a broken something. We don't really know yet if it's a broken hand, his a broken wrist, wrist anything up. like that. But it's on his right hand. Um, Something that could be a saving grace for Oma- or for O'Malley is that he's a switch hitter. So um, if it's you know if it's a minor break in his right hand, he can come back as a right-handed hitter for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so switch hitting might be something good for him going forward. 
Then we got the small sample size of the other person we said, don't even remember this name, Daniel Castro. Yeah, he sounds like he's going to take over for O'Malley as far as getting spring at-bats that would have gone to O'Malley. Yeah, I mean, so Castro's going to... Yeah, he's going to have a legitimate chance to make the roster out of spring. Um, Another guy that's kind of... Wow, where is this coming from? Is uh, Brian Mundell has looked pretty good so far. Really nice. And he's a right... I think he's got the tiniest shot of making the team out of spring just because he's right-handed power, and we don't have much of that yeah Creason was talking about how we don't have like really that much right-handed anything right now it's basically nolan arenado and everybody else yeah um what we usually talk about this segment almost every single week in the off season is that whole signing a free agent thing and oh it's just heartbreaking so the latest rumor is back to mark reynolds and reynolds is a guy that um I mean, you can get him for astoundingly cheap. I know they like his locker room presence. Um, his, his glove graded about average last year, so you weren't losing anything with the glove. Mm-hmm. And he can hit at Coors. Um, so certainly he's not our first choice for any of this, but he's a guy that um, he fits with the Rockies. The question I mean, is, is Mark Reynolds good? I think the question really is, is, is he worth taking someone else's roster spot because if you sign him he he's on the 25 he's not going to be in triple a so is mm-hmm. he worth more than david castro o'malley daniel uh brian yeah daniel castro my bad uh is he worth more than them is he worth more than brian mundell is he worth more than jordan patterson and down the list and i if we're not going to huh. sign you know lucas duda or logan morrison might as well just so go cheap. full youth movement and just let these kids play. Don't Which have I think it. is what they wanted to do. I mean, yeah, McMahon I mean, is, having, is tearing it up right now. Yeah, I mean, he's shut me up because I've been one of his biggest critics and still remain to this day probably his biggest critic. He's got so much to prove, and we really haven't even given him a sh- Like, he hasn't had a ton of time to even have that true regression he might have. The things that scare me about Mark Reynolds is he uh, last year had a 29.5% strikeout rate. And with Trevor Story being a starting shortstop, I don't think we can have that high of two strikeout rates in the same roster. You mentioned it earlier, John, but um, the strikeout rates are certainly going up. It's it's weird. Baseball is quickly trending to a league of the three true outcomes. Um, So... I mean, you, I guess if you looked across the board, if you looked over at, say, the Yankees last year with uh, Sanchez and Aaron Judge, Judge both guys that strike out a lot. And it's kind of moving towards a league that if you can hit 40 home runs, it doesn't matter if you strike out 40% of the time. And it's we'll see how that holds up. But right now there are a lot of teams out there that have a lot of guys that strike out a lot. Yeah, I mean, just look at Chris Bryant. He's considered a top five baseball player, and he's got, what, a, a high 20s strikeout rate? Not too far from Trevor Stories. I think other people's argument could be Mark Reynolds did hit 30 home runs last year. Yeah, but who I, didn't? Jed Jerko exactly. hit 30 home runs last year. Jed Jerko. The home run rate is, is crazy. I was in the Fangraphs thing earlier, um, but there's like 45% more home runs, and they did this whole thing about the cross-section of the ball and how the rubber density might be different. And they said, it's not a conspiracy, but it sure sounds like one. And yeah, they're I mean, saying there's like eight and a half feet added with all the density changes, the air resistance, and the smoothness. Yeah, I think what's telling is Ron Banfred never said, yeah, we doctored the balls. He just said they're still within the limit, which right. is basically admitting you change the ball, but you didn't change it so drastically that it's going to raise suspicion. And but among pitchers, though, it certainly has raised suspicion. I, I'm sure you guys have seen Justin Verlander the past couple of days has been kind of on the warpath with yeah. some of that stuff. And one of the things he um, tweeted out was a graph of balls uh, that with launch angle and exit velocity and in 2014, you know, a certain amount of these balls were home runs. And in 2017, balls with the exact same velocity and the exact same exit speed, a significant amount more were home runs. Um, and do you guys, do you guys like the fact there are more home runs? 
I, we're always changing the game. Yeah, I. It's if we didn't play at Coors, I wouldn't hate it. But you should see Jason's face with that. He's got this nostalgic look, like he's like eight years old again. And Watching Dante Bichette smash balls. Come on, we all remember the McGuire Sosa days. How much fun that was! But it was a lot of fun. But playing but, at, playing at Coors, I would rather not see balls flying even further than they are because I mean that's just a recipe for disaster for the Rockies. Right. Yeah, and I know um, a lot of people, you know, don't like pitching duels, but I think, you know, if you get like Clayton Ker- Kershaw versus Max Scherzer, I don't want to see a lot of home runs. I want to see those two dominate. You know, if it's Jordan Lyles versus Clayton Richard or whatever, that that all I'm more than happy to watch a nine to eight game, but I don't, I don't. So I think it just depends on the the pitching matchup for me if I'm okay with it. I think it depends on the kind of fan you are now too, because I think the older I've gotten, um, the more I've appreciated the better pitch games. Yeah, I think that's I think that's for me at least. I've just appreciated baseball the more I get older. I was yeah. a lot more into football and basketball as a kid, and so the you know the older I get, the more I get into baseball now. And I like baseball being the way it is, where you go to a game, you know there's a three-hour game, you don't need to worry about it being sped up a whole bunch because there's still going to be people watching it. Um, other people's arguments was that it's not the, the pace of the game is the problem, it's the branding of the superstars. You have, like, Bryce Harper is in, like, what, some, is either AT&T or Verizon commercial, and then... It's a T-Mobile commercial. T-Mobile Excuse me. Oh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. No, it was T-Mobile because they sponsored the whole World Series. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like, MLB thing. So, So, and I know he's a little, he's certainly young, but I have a seven-year-old nephew um, who lives in Cincinnati, and if I asked him to name a baseball player, he would name Joey Votto, and then he passed that, he wouldn't be able to name another one. And when I was seven was when we got the Rockies, and so certainly I knew all the players on the Rockies, but there were guys around the league that you still knew the names of. You knew the Bonses and you knew Smoltz and you knew Glavin. Like those guys were a set to seven year old me, I knew those names. And to I think to younger kids right now, they don't know those names. The branding's <clears throat> off. I mean Be- pitchers pitchers besides Kershaw, Scherzer, Kluber, maybe if you're in the area, but otherwise you have to like we would know. Yeah, I use I use my girlfriend as a barometer because she is <laughs> She really dislikes baseball. It's kind of unfortunate. But I guarantee before she started dating me, she could not name a single baseball player on this earth. And now when I ask her, she names Matt Kemp just because I complain about how much he kills us every week. (laughs) Does she call him Fat Kemp? No, I call him Fat Kemp. (laughs) But I mean, that's kind of the thing. Like somebody who doesn't like baseball, like her, is not going to know anybody. But for the people who really do like baseball... We would like to see baseball or hear baseball because that is what we like doing, and we will give you money in order to let us do that. Shout out AT&T Sportsnet. Well, it's the Rockies and their media partners in general dropping the ball right now. We had a couple games last week that you couldn't watch or listen to. We have a couple games coming up that you can't watch or listen to. And, I mean, I get that Colorado isn't exactly a Rockies town, but... Just give like even if if just just make sure that one team is broadcasting every game in some way, shape, or form, and that right there is better for your engagement with fans. I mean, Life in America comes together because there are sports <laughs> half the time, and in the summer you got what soccer, maybe lacrosse, and but there will always be baseball. And just give us the option to forget about all the things that are happening. Well, being able well yeah, to, being able and to like Jason was saying that Colorado isn't a Rockies town, they're arguably the most successful franchise right now. I mean, the Broncos look like a mess. The Nuggets are are okay. Man. The Avalanche are kind Tanking. of okay, too. You know, this. You know, they should be trying to strike while the well, iron is hot. And also, we're not even a town. We are the Colorado Rockies, and that means that Kansas, Nebraska, Wyoming, New Mexico, Idaho, maybe Utah— you know, people would like to see this. There's got to be somebody up in Missoula who's like, I can't watch the Rockies. I don't hey, know, is Missoula more Minnesota? I think that's I think that's Montana, but it's just a weird town to name. People, people, I just like people Missoula. Missoula. I know it's in Montana. I'm saying, are they a Minnesota team? Minnesota town. I think they would be Mariners fans up there. They're close enough. It's one of the two. Let's. No, Montana's definitely Colorado. But you're Don't right that, the that, that, the, that the, the Rockies are coming off a really successful season, and they're not only coming off a successful season, but like 
the hope is at an all-time high. We've had seasons mm-hmm. before where we've done well, and then you think, all right, that was a fluke, and this this year doesn't feel like a fluke, and then they're just not taking advantage of it. I would say that oh, another way to take advantage is go back to the other point, brand better, tell everybody in Colorado that you're uh, that you're going to have these really big players coming in, and one way to get those big players is to sign somebody who actually makes a difference, you know? Get excited about a free agent signing who's not in Desmond. Well, we had, I mean, Wade Davis was a pretty big splash for the Rockies this year. If we can brand him right. If we can brand him right. And that's outside of, uh, like, the Moe's of the world, it's it's kind of hard to brand a closer. You know, you can, you can you. name Mariano Rivera, and you can name Trevor Hoffman, and then past that, it's who happens to be closing that year. Yeah. So I think later on we're going to start talking about um, who we should who we should be looking at, what is the reasoning behind this either youth movement or either having the veterans or something. But the last thing I want to say about Mark Reynolds is the guy strikes out a lot. His second half was bad. He cannot come back from behind the count. I think anything beyond a worse than one and one count, he was batting like 230 or under. You can't battle. And, you know, you mentioned that, and it's something that a lot of our players were bad at last year. Uh, Chuck was a huge outlier when it comes to that. He he was really well, kind of, he batted really well, kind of regardless of the count. Mm-hmm. But we had a lot of hitters last year that behind in the count, it was just the, the at-bat was pretty much over at that point. Yeah. I think maybe that would be a good thing to uh, get to maybe next week is uh, more situational hitting stats and talking about why we can't hit behind from behind the count and what we need to do. Um, but we, uh, hinted at, um, the signing of Ionetta as a possibility, as a help for the offense. And while we want to talk about his offense and how he actually, he had a couple home runs, right? He had two home runs yesterday. Had five two RBI. home runs yesterday. That's pretty good. What about him in the, in the two spot? Uh, I don't think he has enough speed to be two. And you don't have to necessarily be fast to be two, but you can't be slow. And I think Ionetta, I mean, he's a 36-year-old catcher. He's not getting around the bases anytime soon. I don't yeah, I mean, the best, thing, yeah, the best thing for Ionetta's offensive oh, profile oh, is just that he gets on base. So I, I think if you put him down at six, his on-base percentage is so good that if you had someone behind him that could just hit the ball a little further, that'd be good. Out of the infield, maybe? yeah. Come on, yeah. for $22 million out of the infield? That's just That's asking, asking a lot. For. too much. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but the other thing Ionetta brings is, uh, we wanted to talk about last week, is his um, either the pitch calling or the way he catches the ball and the way he has the ball come back into uh, the strike zone or not. And the Rockers are really bad about that. And so we're going to take a quick break right now and then talk about framing and what went wrong, what went right for the Rockies in the last couple of years. Welcome back to the Rockpile Talk Pile. Uh, we're back talking about uh, catchers. Um, we ended up big signing of Chris Ionetta last year, and we wanted to talk about ways that catchers can influence the game. It's really hard to really quantify how a catcher calls a game besides, I don't know, managers or pitchers telling them that things are better and overall um, outcomes of the game. I don't know if you guys have any more insight on what happened with calling games um it's kind of up in the air it just it seemed like we had we didn't really have any we didn't have that one catcher last year that you would say all right this is a big game this is who's catching that game right kind of until we got lucre and you could see when we got lucre how much he handled the pitchers differently um just in the fact that i mean the pitchers just were better their their pitch counts went down um their strike percentage went up um but before that we never really had anybody that was your go-to catcher. A lot, so many teams have that catcher that's going to catch the big game, and we didn't have them. And we thought we were going to have it in Tony Wolters. And the reason we thought we had it in Tony Wolters is because of his framing. So we're going to do a quick little review on what framing is. Uh, we're using StatCorner.com's uh, catcher report, and there's kind of ways to they quantify if a ball is called a strike inside the strike zone, if a ball is called a strike outside the strike zone, a ball is called a ball outside the strike zone, a ball is called a a ball inside the strike zone. And ideally, the best framers are going to call catch balls that are outside the strike zone and have them called strikes. 
We call this the O-strike percentage. So basically the percentage of pitches caught outside of the strike zone that are called a strike, stealing a, uh, stealing a call. But on the opposite end, you've got the catchers who will catch a ball inside the strike zone, but catch it in such a way that it gets called a ball. And over the course of a season, you get enough pitches that you get a decent sample size. Um, but if you split the number of pitches up between everybody, then it's a little bit different. Um, and you could watch certain it, catchers that are really good at framing a pitch, and you can see catchers that are poor at framing a pitch. And a lot of it, just some of the, the, the easiest thing to watch is their hand. Um, pet, catchers that are good at framing a pitch will move their hand to the ball, but the positioning of their hand itself, like their thumb is down, their hand, their fingers are up, everything stays the same. Guys that are bad at framing pitches are moving that glove around, like rotating it as opposed to just moving the glove to the ball, or they'll just flip the glove over completely and catch the ball that way. So they're just little things that better catchers do, and one of those little things is just keeping the glove in a consistent position when they catch the ball, and something as small as that can lead to them getting more strike calls than, say, somebody that's flipping the glove all around. And holding it. There's there's two things in 2016 I wanted to bring up. So we look up the O strike percentage, the number of balls that were caught outside of the strike zone that were called strikes. And the reason we were optimistic about 2017 is because Tony Walters had a great year um, in 2016, he had 9.1% of balls caught with outside the strike zone being called strikes. And that was about like 10th best in the league for a guy who's not actually a catcher. The interesting thing I found is the fourth best person in 2016 at this was actually Jeff Mathis of the Marlins. And now in 2017, he went to the Diamondbacks and now their, their pitching just completely switched. And apparently he's like Zach Granke's personal catcher, I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I know, I think it was the third episode we talked about how maybe Ionetta was uh, someone who helped their pitching go up. But it sounds like it was as much Mathis as it was Ionetta. Yeah. And so if we go over Ionetta, we go down the list in 2017, and the O-strike percentage of things that were outside the ball, the zone that were called strikes, you get Jeff Mathis is again around like eighth. Um, your top people were like Tyre Flowers and Yasmani Grindal and Austin Barnes. And you get down to about 20th, uh, you got Chris Ionetta up there at 8.5. So he was doing a pretty good job last year for the Diamondbacks. But if we switch it around to the people who are the worst at getting um, balls outside of the strike zone as called strikes, that kind of runs into the Rockies. So, and then an easy stat to use too, that because um, percentages sometimes can be a little bit more out there, is you can just look at plus calls, which is just calls that went your way. So, somebody like Tyler Flowers had 211 calls last year that went his way. Um, Tony Walters, for example, who was our one of our worst all like he was our worst regular catcher. Um, Walters had 122 calls last year go against the him. other way. Yeah, so. It was like our catch. Our catching last year wasn't good, and it made a. That can make a huge difference. It can make a huge difference in the game, but it can also make a huge difference in uh, in a pitcher's confidence. I don't. You guys, I'm sure remember right. that Antonio Senzatella game um, around the beginning of of June. I think it Dodgers was Dodgers game or something. Yeah, and he was throwing strikes. Yeah. He was strike, 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 and everything was being called a ball. And so he was yeah. going to instead of striking guys out in three pitches, he's getting six, seven pitch counts, everything like that, struggling to get guys out, even though the ball was in the strike zone and stuff like that. Can you can look at that and blame some of that on the on the catcher? Now, certainly umpires are a little tougher on rookies, but right. um, catchers having and a poor framing, Rockies. yeah, and catchers having a poor a poor framing game though can really hurt a pitcher in the long run. If we want to go by calls again, we got Ryan Hannigan is uh, pretty bad at negative ninety six, and then even Jonathan Lucroy, when his time with the Rockies, even though it was shorter, he had lost sixty one. And Lucroy's season was an outlier last year. He yeah. has throughout his career been a much better defensive catcher than he was last year. Yeah. And then I guess the last thing, if we wanted to go by the, the percentage, which I guess isn't as easy as just the calls lost, um, and we went by the person with the worst Z-ball percentage, Z-ball being cu- pitches caught within the zone that were called a ball, the worst Z-ball percentage went to Anthony Recker of the Braves last year, but he didn't have a lot of sample size. The person with the highest sample size and the worst calls was Dustin Garneau for the 27 Rockies. 
Garneau and Hannigan are both right next to each other and both had a pretty decent sample size. They both have over 1,500 sample size and are both the worst. And I don't know if you guys have ever noticed, but those two have huge gloves back there. And it always used to bother me with those two. And I don't know if there's any correlation with it. But if you look at, like, Buster Posey's glove, it's not huge. But Ryan Hannigan and Dustin Garneau's glove looks gigantic. Even, I mean, just watching Hannigan last year... He he just ne- he never looked comfortable behind the plate. I made the joke a couple weeks ago that half the time I was praying that he would even catch the ball when the pitcher threw it, because he just never he never looked like he knew what was coming. He never looked like he knew what to do with it. He just he looked uncomfortable every time you saw him catch. Yeah, and isn't it weird that he has a rep as being a great defensive catcher? That's apparently the only reason yeah. why he's still in baseball. Yeah, I changed the sample size to greater than fifteen hundred pitches so that we get all rid of everybody else. If we go by zero ball percentage, there the worst player was Dustin Garneau. The second worst player was Ryan Hannigan. Then you have Alex Avila, who's who's going to the Diamondbacks. That's nice. Um, then you go down to seventh, Tony Walters. Then you go down to the ninth, Jonathan Lucroy with the Rockies. So I I know it's like probably the skill of not bringing it in but it is interesting that four rockies catchers are the top eight worst at having pitches in the strike zone called a strike and isn't it amazing that our pitching was our strength last year even with all these numbers right so right ionetta had a pretty good year last year not i mean it wasn't great but it wasn't bad either um so something like that kid i mean that's another step forward for some of these young guys there's only a couple other like catching stats that are out there. There's one that takes like two years to kind of um, process because it's got to like take all the past balls and everything. And the last time they had this, it was like RPP through Fangraphs, so, like runs prevented by past balls or something. And the person who had the highest rate of stopping past balls was actually John, Jonathan Lucroy back in 2015. Yeah, and like Jason said, I mean, he was consistently one of the best defensive catchers in baseball, and then last year he was just terrible. He never, he never got comfortable in Texas, and it it just kind of continued. Um, when he came to the Rockies, he looked more comfortable, but he still was not the Luke Roy that everybody remembered. So it'll be you'll be curious to see then if if you know if he starts if he signs somewhere because Luke Roy still hasn't signed with anybody. Um, when he starts the season with back. one staff and spends his entire season with that staff, um, where his comfort level is. Maybe last year was just there was something about the Rangers that just didn't work for him, and that's always a possibility. Yeah. Um, there's one last catching stat John might have. Yeah. Um, so baseball prospectus um, consistently um, ranks catchers higher in their war uh, wins above replacement method. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. My dog is freaking out. He um, thinks there's a war going on, obviously. He's upset. So. He's upset. He's upset. So, as I was saying before, my dog is still barking. I'm so sorry, everybody. And is, was war. Yeah, so he is upset with war, apparently. <laughs> he's not like, with he's, war. he's just as pissed yeah. about our catchers as, as we are. All right, so. How are we having the fourth, done. like, four out of eight worst catchers last year? That's weird. Excuse me. Yeah, I don't know. But there's a baseball prospectus. Their wins above replacement method takes a lot of um, stuff into account for catchers for defense. um, And they have it all combined into one stat that's called FRAA, which is fielding runs above average. So if you look at Chris Iannetta's season last year, he was worth six and a half FRAA. Um, Two years ago with the Angels, he was worth 12.6. The problem with that is is those two are kind of outliers. Um, He has, when he was with the Rockies, he was minus 6.3, minus 21.6, minus 1.8. So I know we look at some of these metrics and you see that Chris Inetta had a good year last year, but according to FRAA, it's not the norm for him. And so that's something that I get a little nervous about just because I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do it again. Um, if you look at our top catching prospect, Tom Murphy, um, he graded out last year. Granted, it was a very small sample size. He graded just about him. average. Yeah. I mean, he was 0. 0.3 in 2016, not a big sample size again. It was 0. 0.4. 2015, not a large sample size again, but still minus 2.3. So over 
three parts of three seasons, he's been worth negative 1.6. So, so at what point do you become comfortable with, all right, our catcher's defense is not good, but we have offense. So like if Ionetta comes out this year and puts up a 120 WRC plus and has a, has a great season as a hitter, at what point do you say, all right, his defense is bad, but we can deal with it? Because last year we had bad defensive catching and we also had really terrible hitting from our catchers. Well, and I think that's what the hope for Tom Murphy is, is that's why he's here, is he's not known, he was never known in, in the minors as a good defensive catcher. He progressed through the system because of his offense. So the hope is, is that Tom's offense is so good that you don't care that you're getting below average defense. If British's idea is run prevention, run prevention, run prevention, then having the good pitching, having the good bullpen, and having the good catching would be important. And we've lost all those calls on catching and we need offense, and who would be a great fit who can hit and is a good defensive catcher, but Jonathan Lucroy. And that's, and we should, I mean, that's the thing is that signing, the, re-signing Lucroy would be smart. The, what can be said is that Lucroy's kind of the only catcher on the market this year. There was not yeah. a big amount of catching on the market. So he kind of was in a position, and it's starting to look like he overplayed his hand, but he was kind of in a position to say, hey, I'm the guy that's available so somebody could pay me, but clearly nobody has done that so far. Yeah, if we want to opposite this, obviously Jeff Bridich, it's a terrible idea to sign Jonathan Lucroy. <laughs> Don't do it. Um, but the offense was a problem, and um, one of the guys that we follow on Twitter, Dan Zimborski, had a whole um, rampage, tirade about yeah. the Rockies. A barrage. Like yeah. Barrage. So for, he was Tweet so for for those that don't know, Dan Zimborski is the creator of the uh, Zips projection system that Fangraphs uses. Um, he's worked for ESPN as well. Um, so he's he's pretty uh, influential as far as advanced metrics go. So I'm not going to read off every single tweet he had because he had 11 or 12 of them. I'm just going to read off five of them. So he says here, What makes me so frustrated with the Rockies compared to other poorly run franchises is because of the waste. They developed so much good young talent recently and shown not even a modicum of competence building the team around it. From passing up opportunity after opportunity to get value from veteran players while rebuilding, too low in cargo, the Rockies are the Leon Lett celebration of front offices. With the young talent they have, this is a team, if competently run, that should be threatening 90 wins for a five to six year period but you can already see the abyss ahead of them with Blackman and Arenado unsigned after 2018 and 2019. Here's the money quote. I've been reassured by others. The Rockies actually know behind closed doors that the offense was below average in 2017 and primarily driven by two players, Carlos Gonzalez and Yane Desmond, I'm assuming. <laughs> then if they know the issue, how can doing so little in a buyer's market for one for first baseman slash corner outfield types be remotely justified? He continues, but I won't read more. Lucas Duda cost less than four million, maybe four and a half with the other things, but I think Duda was three and a half million. But he's he does have a lot of escalators. I think it's every exactly. like if he reaches three hundred plate appearances, he gets an extra hundred thousand, and then every twenty five plate appearances after that. But like you said, John, the, so the the relevant tweet in there is that the Rockies are aware that their offense was bad. And they're not doing anything about it. They're just like, okay, the offense was bad. And leaving it at that. Yeah, and I mean, even if you say, okay, it was two players, which I assume at least one of them is Ian Desmond. I don't know how else it can be anybody else. And I assume the second is Carlos Gonzalez. Ian Desmond's still on the team. And Carlos Gonzalez is rumored to be thought about re-signing with us. There are some rumors and ideas that I'd like to address, and also uh, we wanted to start trying to get to some questions um, that people in the subreddit had. Um, if you're interested in asking questions, and we'll try to get as many of them as we can, go ahead and subscribe to the Colorado Rockies subreddit, uh, reddit.com slash r slash Colorado Rockies, and we'll post some kind of thread asking for questions. But we're going to take another quick break, come back with JC, answer some questions about what is going on with the offense and what should we do. And we're back with the third segment of the Rockpile Talkpile. Uh, joining us today, we got JC. What's up, JC? What's up, everybody? Uh, you by the nine here. Just happy to be here. So we're glad to have him here. We wanted to talk a little bit about this, uh, the most recent debate that's going on in the subreddit. We kind of got three little uh, 
I don't like saying factions, uh, three smallish divisions on what should we do now that we decided not to sign anybody. I'd say one third of them are of the let's not sign anybody full youth movement. One third of them are like, let's bring back Cargo and Reynolds. They know it. The clubhouse needs them. And a third of them are like, for God's sake, sign somebody. <laughs> I think I'm in that. We're, we're all anxious. It, that's what it comes down to. Everyone's anxious. We're Coloradans. All freaking out about it, you know. <laughs> I feel like I find myself in that second camp now that Lomo's gone, now that Dude is gone, um, Todd Frazier gone, a few of those different guys. I think we have to sign somebody. I don't, I don't want to completely roll with the young guys, but I also don't think it should be somebody that's going Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm in the same boat. Um, I feel like the front office is really trying to step back and work on nurturing all of these young guys because it worked out for us with pitching last year, and it's like, why can't it not work with our, our offense uh, as well with Dahl, McMahon, uh, Tapia, Talkman, such. But uh, I definitely feel like it would maybe be nice to, to uh, if we see a need for it um, towards the end of spring training to make that signing happen. There's there's one thing where you could say, like, it's Coors, they're going to hit. But that didn't even happen last year. The most concerning thing to me, if we decided to go full-on youth movement, is who is on the bench. Yeah. Like, we need somebody on the bench. I think that somebody might be uh, Gerardo Parra. Well, I think Gerardo himself has acknowledged that he is going to be the fourth outfielder. Yeah, I mean, you can do worse than that for a fourth outfielder, but that's an expensive fourth outfielder, that's for sure. Very expensive, yeah. And if we're talking pinch hitting, Mark Reynolds was not the master of pinch hitting. No, uh, that that title goes to Pat Vileka. Yeah, who is hopefully healing up. Who's also rest in peace. Yeah. That's one of the reasons that I like having a, another veteran who's not like so old that they, they've lost their bat speed, but another veteran who can either come off the bench or fill in here and there who doesn't need all those kinds of getting used to things, who's still getting accustomed to the game. You know, Pat Vileka was a sensation as a pinch hitter, and I don't know how often you can find a rookie who's that good at pinch hitting. Um, but that's one of the reasons I think we need at least somebody who's a veteran who we can switch in here and there who has the ability to just come off the bench and be comfortable. And Yeah, absolutely. So if Reynolds, I, I, I got to wonder, like if Reynolds signed as somebody that is there to be a pinch hitter, then does he fall into that role a little better? He only pinch hit eight times last year. Um, mm-hmm. So if he's somebody that is like, hey, we're going to sign you to play a little bit of first base when we need it, but you're a your role is to come off the bench, provide a spark. He has a big bat. I mean, we all know that, that Reynolds can hit the ball a long way when he connects. Um, so well, if he you adjusted give him more his than uh, hitting later, last year to hit for more average, I remember. He hit, he did it. Yeah, he hit pretty well last year. Um, but if you give him more chances as a pinch hitter, I wonder if that's a role that he would kind of gra- or you know grasp a little better or, or take advantage of a little better. Eight is just such a small sample size. Right. Well, I think... When he was with St. Louis before we signed him in 2016, um, that was kind of his role was, um, you know, semi-bench guy, but mostly pinch hitting. Um, and I know St. Louis fans really liked him. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but that was kind of his role with St. Louis. If we go to if we go to splits, I mean, we don't have a huge sample size of high leverage situation at bats. He had 35 last, well, 41 plate appearances. And he did hit like 314 average. Um, with a couple RBI, but it's it's a smallish sample size. And with, with St. Louis in 2015, he had uh, 27 plate appearances as a pinch hitter and hit 250 um, with a 667 OPS. So it wasn't, you know, amazing, but he got on base uh, a tw- third of the time, which isn't terrible either. And his 2015 wasn't too good for any leverage situations. So. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you wonder why we signed him. <laughs> he, uh, man, I, Mark, I think Mark is that he's still that one guy. Like, there was the Nolan Arenado interview a couple of days ago talking about how much they miss Carlos Gonzalez. And a lot of the comments on the thread were like, well, it's a business. It doesn't matter if they miss him, blah, 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 blah. But there's something to be said for your players being upset about a guy being gone. Because regardless of the fact that baseball is a business, part of running a business is keeping morale high. Absolutely, and, and having somebody like Mark Reynolds or a cargo in the locker room 
is a lot more than the, the than the money they're making or the home runs they're hitting because they provide a little bit of leadership that such a young team doesn't necessarily have. You're with That's each other Eric all Hosmer the time. Argument. Yeah, the Hosmer. You're argument. with each other so often that you got to have somebody who's got like good morale. But at the same time, Carlos Gonzalez is not going to accept a, that low of uh, a salary. And Mark Reynolds probably would. He might even do the minor league contract thing. I mean, what? But, we, apparently, Mark wants to sign here. We just haven't reciprocated that, which I find weird. We're just but, stringing along, <laughs> kind of. And I mean, Mark Reynolds will take. He, I don't, I don't think he would take a minor league deal. I don't just because he doesn't really need to. But Mark Reynolds made one point five million last year. I mean, he would take nothing. a one point five million dollar contract again, and that's to. Any of us, that's so much money, but to a baseball player and to a major league franchise that has $150 million in payroll, $1.5 million is a drop in the bucket. So are any of you guys switching camps on, like, we might as well just bring Mark Reynolds back? I mean, I've always no. been in that middle camp of, like, I don't think we're going to no. sign a big-name guy. I don't. We're obviously not going to sign Frazier or Lamar Duda. They're gone, and I don't think we should roll with the young guys. I think we need... There needs to be a little bit of something there that says, hey, we're listening to the players because the players are obviously talking about the fact that they're not signing anybody. JC? Yeah, and I mean, I, I think for me, I just I think there's got to be a balance, and that goes all the way down to like talking about making sure that our minor leaguers are taken care of with their nutrition and their training, that when they get here, that they're good. But then once you get to the MLB, you need that veteran leadership. Um, so I, I'm definitely in the middle with that. Uh, I, I think it would be great for the clubhouse and for the morale and confidence of our young prospects to have someone to look up to, even if they're just pinch hitting every once in a while, you know? And I would just feel more comfortable with Luke Roy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the only free agent left that I want. Same. I mean, if, it's, if Arenado is going to sit there and say, we need Carlos in here for because he... he creates a great presence if i was bud black or you know one of our bench coaches i would pull nolan aside and say this is your team it's your job you be that leader you need to be that clubhouse guy point yeah i mm-hmm. i don't want to i don't want to make nolan out to be the bad guy or whatever but i just feel like with him saying hey we need carlos in here for the clubhouse presence i think with carlos nolan you're the star off, you be the clubhouse presence i think carlos obviously we're all on the outside looking in but i think a little bit of carlos isn't as much the leadership as it is that Carlos just kind of a, he's a goofy, happy, always smiling type of guy, and like Nolan, I think Nolan is like Tulo. Tulo was intense, and mm-hmm. that's just kind of how you see Nolan. And Cargo has never been intense. Cargo always looks like he's loving what he's doing, and so yeah, you had maybe the, the presence that lost thing. Yeah, the presence that's lost isn't necessarily huge leadership. It's like the fun guy kind of deal. It's Paris role then. It is Parra's role. I mean, that's kind of what people talked about when we signed him was is Carlos wanted him here because of that. So you got to take on it. Um, so what would you guys say if we didn't sign anybody? Is that is that a wise move just to let the guys play? For me, if it was between Mark Reynolds and signing nobody, I would rather sign nobody. If it's between Lucroy and nobody? No, I want Luke Roy. Yeah. So I where does where does Luke Roy fit though? Because we're still the Rockies still want Tom Murphy to be an everyday catcher, and we just mm-hmm. signed Ionetta. So you sign Luke Roy, mm-hmm. you're suddenly playing with four catchers, and room for maybe three of them, but more likely. The problem is all the people who are left at first base are not ideal candidates. They don't hit for average, and they got tempers. You don't want Jose Bautista. Danny Valencia might be able to play a lot of things, but apparently he's not a good clubhouse guy. He's with the Orioles now. Oh, he just went? Minor league deal. Who was the other guy? Adam Lind. Minor yeah. league deal. Yankees. Oh, God. We got nobody left. Mike Napoli signed a minor league deal with the Indians, and the Indians straight up said, this wasn't because we want him on the team. It's because we want him to showcase for teams. So I wonder if he has a good spring and Ryan McMahon struggles against lefties, if we would be willing to pick him up. Mike Napoli is supposedly a great club. Yeah. Literally, we got Neil Walker. <laughs> Neil Walker can play second base. Yeah, we no, need but, that, though. Oh, Moustakis. Oh, no, never mind. Never mind. Yeah. I'm not talking about him at all because that's bad luck. So nobody's saying anything. I don't want Mike Moustakis. <laughs> but at the same time, there's like at least 38 home runs, you know, something. He's never played first base. 
you'll be fine. I mean, Ricky I know Weeks. Ian Desmond never did either. So what do I know? I'm, I'm yeah. I mean, I'm absolutely to me like when I. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead, JC. JC, go. JC, go, go, go. Oh, yeah. So, so I mean, I, I guess when I look at it from the front office perspective, um, like they are really holding on to whatever twenty-five million it is that we have, uh, because they're looking at that investment as uh, a huge risk, and obviously relying on our prospects like we are huge risk as well. But um, so far, I guess it hasn't really paid off that well for us unless they were a, a trade deadline pickup like Lucroy or Nishek right. last year, you know. Um, so I feel like they're really hunkering down into this offseason and they're just sitting tight until they're like, this is the guy we want um, and this is why, based right. on the current situation of our prospects. My argument, which was probably a little bit hyperbolic earlier, so I apologize to other users, Um you got to sign somebody with a power bat or somebody on the bench to at least have a hope. Because if we fail this year, if McMahon slumps, if Story never recovers, if DJ gets worse, if Para and Desmond are just as bad as they've ever been, we've lost a critical year where Nolan Arenado says, I don't like the way this team is headed. Yes, you've got pitching, but there's nobody to help me out. This is two years in a row. You didn't sign anybody to help me out. Why didn't you help me out? I'm gone. It's possible. It is. It's definitely something that when you, I mean, I know we don't want necessarily cargo back, but when you have Nolan telling the Denver Post that they all miss cargo, that's something that that front office really needs to keep an eye on. You got to keep Nolan happy. They probably are, but I I, I hope, I guess guess my hope would be that the Rockies brass, who's ever making this decision, whether it's Bud Black or Jeff Breidich or a combination of the two, or even Dick Monfort, if they would pull Nolan aside and just have a meeting with him and say, look, here's why we haven't signed Carlos yet. It's for a reason X, Y, and Z. I hope you can understand our position. You know, I don't, I don't want them to be closed off with Nolan and I don't, Yeah. I guess I'm just worried about the whole Tulo thing where Jeff told him he would be in the loop about his trade stuff. And then Jeff traded him without Tulo knowing anything. That set a pretty scary precedent. And you know, something like that's gotta be in the back of the mind of the guys like, Nolan and Chuck and everything like that. Like they kind of, they kind of hosed Tulo on that a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that's something the players are always going to think about. Well, and Nolan and Tulo are apparently good friends. You know, outside of being teammates. I yeah. mean, when Tulo was struggling his first year in Toronto, he used a bat that had Nolan's name right, on it. and hit a couple home runs with it. So there's like there's yeah. nothing left. I would really love it if. We capitalize on some people's like hot spring trainings and have hot minor leagues and just trade some possible outfield prospect for a first baseman and moved McMahon eventually to second and then maybe DJ can do something else. There was this argument by somebody that said maybe DJ could play like outfield or first base and uh, what do you guys think? I don't think I, DJ has never played outfield at any level of baseball um, and I just don't think he has the arm to play outfield. Yeah, I think the arm is the the biggest worry. You know, I'm sure he could adapt to getting under the ball out there, but God, just getting it back, um, it just seems like a huge risk, especially as he gets older. And JC, you believe. mentioned the the Rockies still have that 25 million dollars sitting there. What if their thought on this is like, let's see where we are in June, and then yeah, you know, make a splash, like make a trade where we're taking on some money, or make a trade where. Anything like that? Maybe they're maybe they have that ear, that money earmarked for something that we don't know about. Yeah, they they got to right because uh, they're sitting really tight with our prospects right now. And I mean, luckily, like um, even looking at the game right uh, right now, you know, we've our prospects are they're showing up right now. They're showing up for our offense, and if that can can continue uh, into the season, you know, that would be the time to drop that twenty five mil on. A, exactly what we need at that point in time to make us a contending team. I would love uh, Mondell to be would be answer, contending, you know, but to push us. So, And with prospects, you yeah. see so often that they have hot starts and then, you know, you get, to, oh, yeah. you get to August or something like that and those guys peter out a little bit. So maybe July 31st is when you drop some of that $25 million. Yep. I mean, there, yeah, there are I some mean, first basemen out there that we could trade for. There are. Which I'm not going to mention. It's going to be really big to see how these guys go up against uh, consistent, like, major league pitching every day, you know, um, and I know they're doing that a bit, but it's going to be totally different when shifting over to nine innings instead of two to four at a time, you know? 
And just, I mean, it's, it's, it's more games. I know the travel is a little bit easier, but I mean, the, I can't imagine, obviously none of us can, but what the pressure difference is, you know, triple A, double A, you're trying to make it, you're trying to make it. And then you get to the bigs and you're trying to keep yourself there. I mean, that's just gotta, that's gotta wear on the cycle a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, it'd be nice if there's some secret that Jeff Bridges isn't telling us, but I'm pretty sure he wouldn't tell us even if he ate breakfast this morning. And that's the, and that's the <laughs> thing about Bridges is you never know what that guy's doing. He is so close to the vest with everything he does. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're starting this um, thing where we're going to try to take some questions. Um, the first person in who asked for questions is Paperback Hack was the first guy who commented saying um, he really just got into baseball last year as he sees it more of a chess match than any other sport. And who would you place as the pieces? Um, It's kind of difficult to say. I think if you're thinking about baseball as a chess match, it really comes in more to like bullpen um, where you've got, um, I don't know, the queen would be Andrew Miller. We don't have an Andrew Miller. So I think queen is Chris Russin. Um, and then, I don't know, bishops are pretty powerful or something. And you could put, like, Wade <laughs> Davis in there. He's got a that or, like, Ottavino if he's got a good slider. Um, Ian Desmond is a pawn. I'm Ian going with a pawn. Tyler Anderson, uh, definitely definitely a rook, in my opinion. But. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan, um, Jordan Lyles is a checkers piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too, is weak. Uh, I think, and then Bud Black would be the king because he's got to figure out what everybody's doing. Makes sense, yeah. 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 Um, John, you got one? Uh, I didn't sort them like newest. So we have uh, one from uh, Base. So that's we have, we have Base Runner 2049 who asked, who do you think has the best chance to break out this year and really make a difference? McMahon, Tapia, Dahl, or one of the young pitchers? It's Jeff, it's Jeff Hoffman. Jeff's your guy. That's I broke my heart so many times. I'm telling you it's Jeff Hoffman. By the end of May, he's going to be in the rotation, and he's going to be our second best pitcher behind John Gray. I see it, man. Yeah. Creaseman's thing was something about like how Hoffman and Dahl aren't going to make opening day, but they might be the most influential players this year. Yeah, oh, didn't yeah. he write some article about them making the All-Star game? It was a little far. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I respect him for doing that because I would never do that. If somebody said write an article about Rockies making the All Star Game, I would just write Arenado. Yeah, just like, tap out after that. McMahon's <laughs> extra base hits <laughs> are really um, giving me a lot of hope. Yeah, I worry about him hitting lefties, and the only reason why I worry about that is because the Dodgers have so many lefty starters: Alex Wood, Clayton Kershaw, Rich Hill, Hyunjin mm-hmm. Ryu. Which is that that goes back again to the Rockies having just a lack of production from righties and our biggest hurdle in the division being the Dodgers um, is lefty, lefty, lefty. Uh, We need somebody that can hit those lefties and we have Nolan and nobody outside of that. Yeah. I mean, Chuck can hit him too, but it's just a lot. It's asking a lot for lefty on lefty to be dominant, especially against pitchers, the quality that the Dodgers have. I remember, like, what three or four pods ago, we were thinking, like, if we're going to platoon McMahon, maybe, maybe Vileka McMahon thing. But maybe I mean, if he comes back, R.I.P. Uh, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> rest in peace. Rocks and um, Rocks and Funds J- asked a few questions, um, some of which we've covered. Why has Brightish not made any moves? We don't know. Is Luke coming back? We hope Please. so, but probably not. The one that we kind of have covered, but we nobody's given a definitive answer on what they think is what happens to Cargo. Where does Cargo go? Baltimore. Yeah, yeah I think that just makes, makes the most sense. Yeah. I thought Tampa would make sense, but they're... They're, t- they're just I, tanking. I don't know what they're, doing. they're just tanking. Well, they're not, like, tanking. They're, like, trying to be, like, in between, and it's going to blow up in their faces. Fangraphs is arguing that they're not tanking. Everybody else is arguing that they are. Yeah, I don't know if you guys listen to Jeff Sullivan, but like for three episodes in a row of Effectively Wild, the Rays would make a move and Jeff would have to say, they're still not tanking. Fine, still it's not tanking. Tanking. It sure looks like it. Um, Ignore everything that's happening. They're not tanking. I, I'm not sure uh, John and Jason and I have, have a very, very special relationship, Rocks and Fun. Um, yeah. 
so don't worry, it it, it has been. Um, I enjoyed uh, the Golden Lance's Why Has We Been Like We Is, and uh, I would just say I don't know. It's because DJ needs to learn to take a walk, the Golden Lance. Yeah. Again, I think it's they don't think it be like it is, but it do. Yeah, do. I mean, that's true. JC, did you right, have so, uh, Hugh laughs? Yeah, you know, I can uh, I can contribute as many laughs as you want, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but as, as for cargo, I personally just... I unfortunately don't see it happening or fortunately unfortunately whatever it is i don't see it happening probably baltimore um yeah I baltimore would be my do. i mean baltimore would be my answer too you put cargo in camden he's gonna hit some bombs it, and, and, and the orioles if you want to watch a team that's gonna hit homers you watch colorado you watch new york or you watch baltimore um yeah. adding cargo to that equation <laughs> would make baltimore a really fun team to watch yeah. yeah, if you want to watch mid-2000s Rockies, watch the Orioles. Bad pitching, strong <laughs> homers. Yeah, cargo sounds perfect then. Yeah, exactly. You just get some strikeouts for half the season and then figure it out towards the end. The thing you know, about cargo is um, one of the questions he last asked was how will the lineup bounce back this year? And I think many of us were saying the Rockies' best decisions were addition by subtraction. Yeah, I mean, I know Cargo had that ridiculous September, which is good and all, but mm. he's, his, his peripherals around that great September um, still show that that was more of an outlier and more true to what he was earlier in the year. I don't think he's necessarily an under 200 hitter or whatever, but his September was flashy, but probably not sustainable in any way shape or form one thing that did happen with cargo is he changed his grip and you could see yeah. that his plate approach changed and you i mean anybody anybody could watch cargo and see that it changed and you can if you go through his game logs on baseball reference you can like pinpoint the day that he changed his grip because everything he did got better so if if that's something that truly is what changed how he was playing then it's something that could carry forward Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, one thing that uh, Drew Creaseman had mentioned was, um, and I brought it up earlier, was kind of the Rockies' renewed focus on uh, proper training. And I feel like that could be huge if we're talking about something as simple as cargo changing a swing. Um, and also, continuing on with uh, He Who Laughs question, uh, like with Desmond and Story, you know, like what's it going to take for Story to strike out less? Is that going to be come down to training? Uh, what is that? You know, um, and I, I'm hoping that this year he will lower that strikeout rate, maybe rise that walk rate a bit, and honestly, he's going to be slamming some ball. Yeah, we've been talking about stories, pitches per plate appearance going up. I think that's maybe what needed to happen. It's just like, you know what, yeah. I'm going to take a lot of balls this year. I'm going to get a better idea what the strike zone is, what I should and shouldn't swing at. His he patience Desmond. has been his, impressive so far, uh, the spring yeah. training. Yeah, his first story plate appearance is, today was a 9 Pitch plate appearance. It ended with a strikeout, but if you're getting nine pitches in your plate appearance, it can't be bad. He's, you'll he's take wearing down that pitcher. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. awesome. Um, I, but what I, I would caution real quick though, just on it. It does happen to some guys, but uh, usually if you have a high strikeout rate and a low walk rate in the minors, it doesn't get any better at the majors, um, mm-hmm. and that describes Trevor's story it's pretty clearly. Lines. Yeah, he did. Uh, so I mean, it looks I mean, like he had a walk today. He's got a hit. He's got a strikeout, he's got a walk, and he's got a run. So, I mean, yeah, maybe Trevor can be the exception to the rule. I would just uh, caution everybody on, ho- his, on, I would hope that it would happen, but I wouldn't expect it to. I guess, I guess the yeah, thought on story yeah, is his, it's always going to be high. We just got to hope that it's maybe on the lower end of high. Yeah. Yeah, Speaking I'm just excited that he's working on it right now. You know, you can yeah. see it actively in spring training. You see it in his eyes. Yeah. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of hope, um... I would hope Ian Desmond gets more than one hit this spring training. That would be and nice. I would hope that it would be in the outfield somewhere. Like right. even yeah, his, past the Wait, dirt beyond, beyond the infield? What? Yeah, I just <laughs> past the dirt is all I'm asking, you know. <laughs> well, I hit a ball in the air that does not hit dirt first. It's, I mean, we we paid him 20 mil to hit it in the infield, right? Just yes. <laughs> yes, I remember Jeff Bradich's press conference clearly. We signed him to hit infield signals. We were just doing so well we needed to make sure that we needed to not do as well by signing Desmond. We needed yeah, somebody it, we needed somebody to lower our park factor so that people wouldn't uh yeah. constantly scream about yeah. cores. <laughs> it was um, intentional. Yeah. Yes. Obviously. Other things, <laughs> yes, you should bandage your dog's feet, probably. Yeah, Our probably a good, good Where does that person live that it was hot enough for their dog's feet to get? Or maybe they just, like, took off so quickly that they just scratched him. Um, 
Like pinto beans. You guys think we're gonna get 90 wins? Uh, are we gonna do? Are we gonna do our our thing now? Oh, by the is way, that, no. The we're, pre- we're gonna do predictions thread that will open up. Then we'll talk with predictions thread in about a week or two. Um, okay. Well, spoiler alert. I don't think so. Yeah. God, I have us like yeah, like right at close to 90 wins, but I don't think we get 90 wins. Yeah, I think we're gonna fall just below. And I think what we talked about earlier, if the trade deadline comes and we're doing well, maybe we could push it above. Ben depending on who we pick up. I'd say 86, and, you know, the Dodgers are still the Dodgers. The Diamondbacks are still probably going to be pretty damn good. It's so. something I hadn't thought too much about, but when you talk about record, obviously it's a small part of it, but I kind of don't love the fact that we start our first week on the road. Um, yeah. Isn't that, it's, it's the same with every year, though, because mm-hmm. they think that well, Colorado's going to be cold. Every year we start on the road, play. like, that's true, but we play three games on the road. And this year we start with seven games on the road. And the, that, opening, the opening stuff is, we have our opening day on a Friday. It just and we we, have to yeah, have that. which is nice. Which is nice. And it we just start seems, out the, uh, the Space Warehouse, which is where we yeah. ended last season, and that's not exactly where I'd want to start. <laughs> it just seems no. like it gives us such a unfortunate chance to start well behind the eight ball when you have seven straight games on the road to start the season. Yeah. I think one thing that might be the reason that we could possibly see more wins this year is if our bullpen is that good, you're not losing those games that you're giving up. Mm-hmm. And I'm, but I'm not sure how many games that's actually going to be. Is that like three or four games that we were losing because of the bullpen? I mean, your bullpen was, wasn't terrible last year. It wasn't great. Um, but also the offense could never come back from anything. Your bullpen's going to give up a run here and there. The yeah. offense can't strike back. Yeah, so I don't know if you guys have looked at Fangraphs' stuff because they rolled in steamer and zips. So mm-hmm. they have us finishing 79 and 83, or yeah, oh. 79 and 83, which is three games out of the second wild card, which is a tie between the Giants and Diamondbacks at 82 and 80. Um, so, I mean, Fangraphs has us a lower win total than a lot would probably think we would, but still within three games of making the playoffs. They have the second wild card at 82 and 80. Yeah, it's the Giants and Diamondbacks tied. I would take I would take that bet all I would take that bet all day long. There's no way that 82 and 80 will get you a wild card spot in the NL next year. No. Well, well I think they're, they're giving a lot is, of is that their Giants stuff. Well I think the thinking is is okay, the National League, the wild card contenders are all Pretty level. Feast I, on I don't other. think there's much separation between the Cardinals, Brewers, Diamondbacks, Giants, and Rockies. So they're probably thinking they're just going to cannibalize each other. 82 and 80, though. I mean, that's. I guess it's. I mean, projection systems are notoriously yeah, it's better I mean, than 70% of Rockies yeah. seasons. Yeah, I feel you, you got to get like 87 to get a wild card spot. Yeah, that's just to feel comfortable. Yeah. That seems so low to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, you know, like I said, projection systems aim low. They only have the Dodgers at 93 wins, too. Well, the Dodgers <laughs> and the Astros are both, like, probably 100 wins. Don't you Cubs, hate the Dodgers so much mature. that you say only 93 wins? Just That just bugs me. Yeah. And, I mean, the Cubs, <laughs> like, what if, what if Arietta signs? Well, that's a Nationals thing, probably. The rumors are Arietta the Nationals. But the Cubs of Darvish, they have got, like, Hap. They've got all these things coming in. There are some really good teams that are going to just decrease everybody else's win totals, possibly. You know, they just get they get the thing. Like you get the Nationals are going to take a lot of wins, the Cubs are going to take a lot of wins, and the Dodgers are going to take a lot of wins. And maybe that's why they have the eighty-two as the wild cards because it is even. it is a second straight season of looking at the at least the NL divisions and saying, well, these are the three teams that are going to win the division, so who's going to take the wild card? Now the AL is is up is way up in the air in my opinion, but the NL mm-hmm. is pretty set as far as the top three go. Mm-hmm. I think the AL is too. You got Yankees, Red Sox, Indians, Astros, and then there's yeah. one spot that everybody's fighting. Well, for. I guess, but I mean, <laughs> if you look at the, if you look the at the if you look at the AL East, you you couldn't say with any confidence it's going to be the Yankees or it's going to be the Red Sox. And if you look at the Central, you couldn't say with any confidence that it's going to be the Indians. Um, I, I just I think there's enough out there. I don't twins think are pushing. The Twins are pushing. They haven't gotten any better this offseason, which I think they've dropped the ball similar to the They Rockies. got Logan Morrison. They that is still a slight increase. The, the Twins pitching last year, they got to the playoffs in spite of their pitching. Oh, didn't they have like a five a starter who was like a five year A? I think it was 507 for their start or something like yeah, that. Yeah, who was that guy? Yeah. Um, so, like, leaving some of these guys on the, on the market like the Twins have, I think, was, a, was a, a missed opportunity by them.
Yeah, absolutely. Who would you guys guess is the second wild card projected by Fangraphs in the American League? The Angels? No. Be crazy with the Orioles. No. JC, you got a guess? God, I'm, I'm thinking I can't even. It's not the Mariners, no. is it? No, it's the Toronto Blue what? Jays. And what? would you be surprised yeah. that they have Toronto Canadian. at nine, or 87 <laughs> wins? Could, okay, wow. so you got jo- Josh Donaldson's going to be worth like 40 war then. Yep. <laughs> well, it make, yeah, it makes sense. Tulo's got to be. Maybe they'll have a healthy 2010 Tulo. God, Man. that was. Can you imagine having he, that? He's bit? playing catcher now, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Or pitcher, whatever that picture was. Can you, yeah, pitcher, that's what it was. Can you yeah. imagine how often Tulo would be injured if he had to squat for eight innings a game? <laughs> he wouldn't be playing baseball anymore. No, he'd be dead. Dude, he'd probably be dead. Uh, um, Kyle Gibson. Ah, oh, Kyle Gibson. That's right. All right, well... I hopefully our starting pitching is going to improve. Hopefully these uh, these rookies mature into the roles we're telling them to mature into. Um, final thoughts, guys. I God got damn nothing. it, Ian Desmond. God damn, he's that's Desmond. a good that's a good final thought. Yeah, yeah. Better than I could. Well, uh, we there is a game televised this week. Um, it's on tape delay, but uh, if you have MLB TV. The games that are on MLB TV right now are not blacked out, so that's something to keep in mind. Hey. Anyway, um, well, we want to thank uh, Jason for joining us. Thank you for having me, everybody. It's great to chat. Uh, nice hat. <laughs> All right, guys, I hope you have a good week. It was good talking to you, and uh, let's watch some spring training. So happy that I actually got to talk to you guys for the whole pod this oh, time. Oh, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Jeff. I mean, <laughs> John. Uh, hopefully there's not, everything, everything went well and felt pretty good, and hopefully we're a little more optimistic with how the Rockets are going. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for joining us. See you guys. So, yeah, we're in a purple, we're in a purple.